0: With demand expected to come back, but the question remains, does this mean the economy is
1: back on track? Companies now, after experimenting with offshore in places like India,
2: Philippines, and Poland, want to bring those jobs back. We invest in the U.S., we're the biggest exporter in the country. In the cycle and right now, we're creating jobs.
3: From Radio America, it's Neil Asbury's Made in America, the show that explores American industry large and small, and promotes American-made products everywhere put Neil Asbury's Made in America to work for you.
0: A very big welcome to you today. I'm your host, Neil Asbury. Unfortunately, Rich is not with us today. He's in South Florida dealing with some hurricane issues. Now, Rich's home is fine. Uh, Some of his appliances are not. He has a a leaky air conditioner. Uh, He's got some water in his house. He's dealing with that. I'm sure he's gonna be back with us next week. He told me to wish you all well and uh, tell you thank you for your prayers during Hurricane Irma. I mean, we really needed them. In fact, I was down at my home on Tuesday in Isla Morada. I was one of the first people into the Florida Keys um, when they opened it up just to people who owned property there. And I got to tell you, it was devastating. And I know the whole country was pulling for us. And and I want to talk more about that later in the show. But on the way down to Isla Morada, I'm a, about 35 miles as, as you cross into the Keys uh, uh, further west about 75 miles from Key West. Uh, that was the last stop before they closed the road into the middle and the lower keys uh, that you could get down. So in that, in that, in that short uh, distance, there was probably 30 film crews out there filming uh, different uh, things. And they would find the, 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 the most hellacious uh, sort of debris and the things that had piled up and the things that had been piled up by uh, the by the first responders who were down there to kind of clear the roads. And they get that that angle there that showed, you know, all of this destruction. And, uh, you know, I've seen that over and over again. It's it's funny how sometimes the media wants to look at different things and wants to kind of dramatize different things. Now, no doubt that the upper keys did get hurt. But the dramatization of it sometimes is just a, a little bit unreal, especially when you... Are there and, and, and yet some good things in the media, you know, they just want to ignore. And why is that? You know, why is that? Why, why, why do they do that? I mean, it's wrong, especially when you have some good news in the economy. You think everybody would be doing cartwheels right now when the economy is growing 3%, but yet uh, the, the major networks just ignore it. You know, why is that? Well, we're going to speak right now to Julia Seymour from the Media Research Center. Julia, welcome to Made in America.
4: Thank you so much for having me today, and I'm also very glad to hear you. You both are fine, and the hurricane didn't uh, didn't take a worse toll than it did.
0: Well, as they say, it could always be worse, and uh, I think a lot of people are thankful. But there's a lot of people that are hurting, and we gotta we yeah. gotta help them. We gotta pray for them, and uh, and we gotta get them back on their feet. And and and, and boy, did the country really come together? And I want to talk more about that. What I saw this last week from people all over the country going down there to help. To help us, I mean, we're at the end of the world in the Florida Keys, but yet we're not forgotten. And boy, it may be never more proud to be an American to see that. But let's get back to this uh, this network thing, and and yeah. why in the world would they ignore this really great economic news? <laughs>
4: Well, what I have seen for years, so this isn't even just what's going on right now in, in the news, but the liberal news media cover the news they want to cover, and they ignore news they don't want to cover, and that is so very true when it comes to economic reporting and something that I've seen uh, them change tactics. You know, I mean, I was doing this the tail end of the Bush years, and I remember the way that they covered – um, they would seize any bad economic news they could when Bush was president, and then Obama became president, and they would uh, find any good economic story they could possibly tell and tell it, and then minimize anything that was maybe not so good or might reflect poorly on his policies, and now the switch flipped again uh, with Trump in the White House, um, and maybe even more so, because they, they are not even hiding their disdain for this administration,
0: and, and, and will there be anything that will ever change that? And will the American people just get so far? Hey, look, uh, uh, again, another Florida Keys story. You know, I saw all of these uh, sort of uh, major networks covering the Keys. And, and, you know, I was looking for information, but that's not where I found it. You know, I found it on YouTube by these by these people who were down there telling the real story, not the hype that the media was telling. I mean, but isn't that what the American people are getting turned off by that? I don't even look at what's on the major media, even for things like Hurricane Irma. I want to get it from the real people who are experiencing it, not the people that are that are that are, you know, just trying to make some some good television out of it.
4: Well, certainly, I do think a lot of people are resorting to other sources for their information, you know, whether that's cable, whether that's radio, whether that's local reporting um, or independent journalism, you know, through YouTube or whatever. Uh, And there are certainly way more options now than there used to be. But I think it's still significant. And here at the Media Research Center, we still focus on those national reports and expose their biases because there's still a lot of people watching those broadcasts and unfortunately they're not getting the whole story in the case is any, uh, he, Julie is
0: anybody but are they listening to you are they listening I, I love the work you do that's and what you, the hypocrisy that you point out it's yeah. what, but do they care do they listen to you
4: you know that's a really good question and I would say as, as a you know as a whole they're not always listening but I think that individual reporters um, you know that you can make progress you know on an individual basis at times. Um, but I still think it's very important to be uh, a check on them and for just a public record, too. You know, the fact that our, all of our information is online and people can come see it for themselves. Um you know, Julie, how much do you think
0: them. how much do you think that this is coming from the top versus the the the, the talking head on the television? I mean, are, right. are they scripted so much to say, hey, you can't talk about Trump having some good news today? And even if a a, a reporter wanted to say something, I mean, they're just like shut down. I mean, is this really coming from the, the top echelon of, of our national media to to do anything you can to destroy this president?
4: You know, I really wish I could be a fly on the wall in their their meetings to know (laughs) because i don't know i don't know if this is coming from the top down or from individual editors or producers who say oh no that that segment's just not as important um when the gdp report came out there was obviously there had been a hurricane affecting texas and that got a lot of coverage deservingly but there were stories that maybe didn't have to air that particular day and you could they could have afforded 10 to 15 seconds to say oh guess what second Uh, second quarter GDP was 3%, which was higher than what was expected and is good economic news. It made the Washington Post, the New York Times, The Hill, CNBC, and I'm sure many other outlets. It wouldn't have killed ABC, CBS, and NBC to devote a few seconds to it.
0: Just a few seconds. Just a few seconds. I mean, why why not not at least pretend that you're trying to be fair (laughs) once in a while?
4: I would honestly love it if they just had a policy, we're always going to mention the GDP number, no matter who is in office. That's what I would love to see.
0: But, you know, unfortunately, you know, it, it, it's not going there. And unfortunately for the major media, uh, a lot of us are just not paying attention to them anymore. You know, we're just tuning out. We're just tuning out.
4: And I think that that's something they need to be concerned about because it will affect their bottom line. I mean, over time, if people just reject what they're saying as, you know, because they're not covering what people care about, then
0: they Do you will have any data money. of what's happened in the last <laughs> since President Trump has been elected. Do you have any data about about that, about and who's been tuning out or who's been tuning in? I mean, as far as the numbers, uh, I have, don't. Have, have there, has there been erosion?
4: Um, I don't know specifically about that. I would love to find out if anyone is tracking that.
0: Yeah, I mean, that would be amazing because, you know, like you say, I mean, there's investors uh, that own uh, these businesses. Uh, uh, people are holding the stock and, and people yeah. vote with their pocketbooks. And, and by the way, many people who own the stocks and the pension funds and even the individuals uh, that own these stocks don't agree with their politics. You know, so, I mean, they mm-hmm. got to be a little careful about this, at least if you're the media yeah. try to be reasonably fair. But I mean, Julia, yeah. that's too much to expect, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I keep expecting it and being disappointed. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, we're going to be disappointed for a, a long, long time. Hey, how about on the cable news side? I mean, are we getting any better there, or is it just the same old thing?
4: Well, cable news certainly has a lot more time to devote to it, but I, for this particular uh, announcement, I didn't take a look to see if the cables were bringing it up. So I can't tell you specifically about this, this one subject. Because I just I didn't get a chance to check those when I was doing the report.
0: You know, it's kind of funny. You know, I I, I um, I'm a host for Radio America. We have a show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Neil Asbury's Made in America. You know, I read a lot and I and I prepare for it and I really want to do as good a job as I possibly can, bringing the stories from an American entrepreneur's point of view of what's going on. But I got to tell you, you know, I'm just so so. Disheartened. I'm so upset. I I can't watch it anymore. I, I just can't watch it. It is just mm-hmm. so ugly. It's such a train wreck that's going on. It's so obvious what they're trying to do. Yeah, and, and I, it's it's just turns my stomach.
4: Yeah, and the thing is, it, it just, it's very obvious in the reporting uh, about the Trump administration and and it, uh, and and you know policy proposals he makes. Um, there's so much to say, but if you. If that doesn't convince you, watch a White House press briefing sometime.
0: You know, the the voters will ultimately make the decision. And and I'm not so sure the media uh, (laughs) has got the people on their side anymore. I think they lost them. But, Julia, we're going to find that out. I really appreciate you being on the show. Julia Seymour from the Media Research Center. Julia, thanks for being on.
4: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Coming up, we have Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College, and we're going to talk about Constitution Day. September 17th is Constitution Day. Why is that important, and why should we be teaching everybody about our Constitution?
3: Made in America.
0: Welcome to Made in America. I'm your host, Neil Asbury. Joining us now, we have Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. Did you know that September 17th is Constitution Day? Why is that important? And why should we be teaching the Constitution? Adam, welcome to Made in America.
3: Great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, Adam, I'm a, an American entrepreneur. And you know, the, the thing that, that has driven me, has driven me Since a young age to try to be successful and do everything I possibly can to build my business is because we live in a country where we have economic freedom. And economic freedom is so important to the prosperity of this country, to every entrepreneur, to every small business owner, to anybody who's had a dream to better themselves. Economic freedom, and that's enshrined in our Constitution, as well as life liberty and prosperity so adam i mean this is so fundamental to america but yet you know we don't celebrate our constitution like we should and in fact you know we've had administration for eight years who said that our constitution was out of date and we should just scrap it as if they have some better ideas oh my goodness if they ever had the the chance to try to put their ideas and enshrine in a constitution this country would be in big big trouble we got the greatest constitution ever why are not people more tuned in on this
3: well, there was actually a poll that came out recently uh, where, where that they do every year that shows that a lot of people aren't getting as uh, charged about it because they actually don't even know what's in it. That uh, <laughs> That's some scary. of our. Yeah, some of our lack of desire to uphold defend this document which is really we the people speaking we the people saying how we want to self-govern because we've actually forgotten or or not taken the time to learn uh... uh, what it is that that the constitution does to preserve our freedom both through government protecting our, our our rights including our property and through restraining government uh... from itself being the threat to our rights
0: so, you know, what, what is going on? I mean, on Constitution is September 17th. You know, it's, it's, it's a very important day. I mean, are there events, you know, especially our young people? You know, I speak at a lot of high school. I like high schools actually better than colleges. I get some of the best questions ever from high school students. And, and I'm impressed, really. I, I I've met a lot of our high school students from around the country, and, and, and I always enjoy being with them. Are we doing enough to educate them about our Constitution?
3: I would say no. I, I do think there are efforts. I would, uh, for one thing, the the actually the government did pass in 2005 a requirement that something be done for Constitution Day to educate the public about it every year uh, on that date. I'm not sure how well that's being carried out, though. Uh, at the same time, I would say. You know here at Hillsdale College, we every year live stream an event that we do in washington d c that where we celebrate the Constitution, talk about how it plays to current events, and actually next week uh September eighteenth and nineteenth we'll be we'll be showing that as well so uh I think there are people out there like Hillsdale like uh obviously you all trying to spread that kind of message, but there's a lot more that needs to be done. There are a lot of people not being reached both to know why it matters and and what they should know about, uh, as you said, this great document that governs us.
0: What do you think about Hillary coming out the other day and saying, well, let's get rid of the Electoral College. I mean, it's so old and antiquated. And by the way, if we didn't have it, I would have won.
3: <laughs> well, uh, the last time it was amended was 1992. And uh, uh, I, do I think it will be amended again? Uh, Yes, although I have no idea what it'll be just based on history you'll see that there are times where the American people say they want to tweak this document. Now if is one of the tweaks going to be banning the electoral college, I think that you're certainly getting some sour grapes uh, from from Hillary Clinton. It 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 it's not the best messenger for someone who lost to argue against it. Um, and I hope they don't. I think the Electoral College ultimately is a great in- instance of how the founders wanted to have us govern ourselves that it sets up a system that respects all kinds of people across the country, not just those that live in cities or in, or in big areas, uh, and it respects uh, the existence of states as well, federalism. So I think that uh, that's one amendment that I hope doesn't happen. I think the Electoral College really- well, They would have to, they would, you that.
0: know, the whole country would fall apart because that's the reason why the smaller states joined the union in the first place. I mean, so if you take that away, it's got to go, well, let's go back a couple hundred years and let's just do this thing all over and and, and obviously, uh, you can't do that. You know, and what would they have to do to get rid of the electoral college? I mean, how how daunting of a task would that be? Because we're going to hear a lot about that. You know, especially from the progressives.
3: It depends upon how sly they are. If if, if it's an actual amendment to the Constitution, they could. It'll take uh, two thirds of votes of each house uh, of Congress, and then three fourths of state legislatures. I. There were nowhere near that. The one that's a little more dangerous is each state is allowed to allocate its electoral votes as it chooses, and there are some states who have uh, voted for a pact that if enough states join – to constitute an electoral college majority, then those states will all give their votes to whoever wins the national popular vote, which is allowed by the Constitution, but I think would be subverting its principles and intentions, as you said, to include smaller states and to, I would also add, I think, create moderate uh, presidential candidates because you have to win 270, a full majority of the votes. I think that influences what kind of people run and, and what kind of choices we have each, uh, every 4th November.
0: Interesting. Hey, Adam, uh, thanks for being on the show. You've been a wonderful guest.
3: Oh, great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Coming up, we have Josh Holwarth who's the district president at Robert Half Staffing. is going to talk about In 2018, what type of jobs are people looking for? What are the salary packages that are attracting the people?
3: Made in America.
1: Sharply higher at the open, stocks continued to perform well over the
2: course of the day Tuesday. And I think that bodes well here over the next couple of years for having bigger demands coming to this country.
3: Now, more of Neil Asbury's Made in America.
0: Welcome to Made in America. I'm your host, Neil Asbury. I'm a entrepreneur and I'm always trying to attract talent. And, and, and I got to tell you, it's hard. And, uh, you know, I employ a lot of people. I own a number of manufacturing facilities. Uh, The skills that I need, making sure that the education system, vocational training. I mean, we totally turned our backs on that. So many great jobs are going unfulfilled, especially in the manufacturing sector, because we're just not turning out the the trade skills anymore. We talk a lot about that here at Made in America. But, uh, you know, any entrepreneur, any business is only as good as its people. And, uh, you know, so what does it take to attract the people today, what are they looking for? And, and, and millennials, I mean, we, we've talked a lot about millennials. Are they looking for something different than, say, the baby boomers? And uh, I think we've decided, yes, they are looking for different things. Different things are important. Um, Robert Halfstaffing has been putting together a, a salary guideline and, and, and the things that people are looking for so when they go out to their clients to say hey what kind of package is going to attract the top talent what do you what do we need to do to do that and they've been doing this since 1950 so they have a very long perspective on it so we're very pleased to have with us josh howarth who is from robert half staffing he's actually a district president josh welcome to made in america
1: great thanks for having me it's nice to be here
0: so, you know, what what is it going to take? I mean, it, it, it's it's it, compensation. You, you put five things down. Number one, compensation. And but very important in compensation is also benefits. You know, how you know, how big is that? It, it's number one. But is it like a really big number one?
1: yeah i mean compensation is you know is always king when it comes to um comes to attracting talent um but what we're seeing is individuals um that are looking for opportunities now they're they're focusing you know maybe slightly less on just the compensation piece and more on the entire package so including healthcare including Cost of living, including career path opportunities, including um, commutes or opportunities for flexible work schedules or telecommuting. Um, and then also, you know, what what are the company cultures and does that match up with with what that job candidate is looking for in a company?
0: It's interesting that you bring uh, that up and, and, and taxes. I know where taxes is and all that, but that's a, That's a big concern. You know, I just hired. A sea level position uh, to run one of my manufacturing companies in uh, in in southeast uh, Pennsylvania. And it's a part of our country to where you got Delaware, you got Maryland, you have Pennsylvania and you have uh, New Jersey all kind of together. And he did a very extensive tax survey in those countries. So before he accepted the position and we negotiated a position, you know, taxes was very important to him. Now, on the millennial side. You know, I've heard more and more. It's the culture. They, they want to be doing something important. It's not just, well, I want a job, but I want my job to have a meaning to it. There's got to be something behind it. And that was your number two uh, uh, concern or the two thing to attract uh, talent was the culture of a company. So how important is that one?
1: It's it's really important that, like you said, especially with that millennial generation, they, they want to go to work not just to make a paycheck, but also to feel like they're having an impact, um, and that what they're doing is making a difference in in the greater community or or country or or world. So, you know, they're looking very much, you know, again at pay, um, but also at um, you know how um, frequently do they get reviews and feedback, so they know what kind of an impact they're having on the organization. And then also, you know, what does this organization do in the greater society or community that that we're in? Um, that's an extremely important part of what what that millennial generation is looking for.
0: Let's go back to compensation for a second. I should have asked this before. You know what is happening with compensation. You know you you know you're, you're getting sort of uh, mixed signals. The GDP uh, growth is three percent. I mean that's that's really really good. We just had a couple of hurricanes and you know, people saying, well, you know we're going to take a couple of steps back now. Um, you know of course if you listen to the network media, you know the the whole country is falling apart and you know this is like a really calamity. You look at the stock market and it's and it's booming. I <laughs> mean so what does all of that mixed messages mean for compensation?
1: Right. Well, what we're seeing is uh, there are certainly, um, you know, a good number of uh, very in demand skill sets where, where, frankly, there's more jobs open than there are um, qualified job candidates out in the marketplace to fill. Them.
0: Absolutely. So, I, I see that in my business
1: yeah um, so you know in some um, specific areas of accounting and finance certainly some um, highly technical roles um, such as big data you know compliance in the finance side cybersecurity types of roles um, you know we're seeing robust um, robust compensation increase in those roles because there's such high demand um, now there's other areas where um, you know demand is not as high um, and and that's where you know you're not seeing Seeing the the compensation growth, which is kind of has us at this point where overall you put it all together, you know, compensation growth, you know, has been a little bit sluggish, but it's really kind of a sector by sector sort of look.
0: So career path, I could understand that one would be really important. You know, what's my opportunity for growth? You know, obviously, if someone's getting in on a ground floor, they want to get some uh They want to get some education. They want to get some uh, uh, skills and and so forth, and and then maybe go do something else or look for better uh, opportunities. But career path is a big one. Cost of living, you know, just like I just uh, mentioned with, you know, someone just looking so closely at taxes, you know, and how big that one was. And then your fifth one was commute. And and I think that's a really big one. You know, I got to tell you, I used to live, you know, about 45 minutes away from where I worked, and now I live five minutes. I, I would never, ever go back... to to commuting 45 minutes a day. You know, this five-minute thing, I mean, just the quality of life is so big. I got to tell you, commute to me would be really at the top of my list
1: yeah and it's on the top of the list of of a lot of folks these days and you know especially with um the capabilities we have with with new technology and and um you know uh more people utilizing uh tablets and and you know wireless ac- internet access uh, pretty much anywhere you know if If there's not going to be a short commute, you're going to find folks looking for flexible work schedules or the ability to work remotely um, much more often uh, in order to kind of make up for the fact that uh, when they do go to the office, they they have a pretty long commute.
0: You know, I got a lot of friends in New York in the financial community, and, you know, they they live in the city, you know, during the, uh, you know, when they're young, and then they get married, and then they live in the city, but then they start to have kids, and they say, oh, we're not going to live in the city anymore. And then they say, oh, let's go to Connecticut or let's go to Northwest Jersey, you know, out in the country. And, you know, they travel like an hour and a half every day, you know, three hours every day, hour and a half each way, three hours a day. I mean, that's a lot of your life and commute. I mean, and and, yeah, I could see how you get creative with your with your packages like, okay, you know, you only have to come to the office three days a week or something, I, I, I guess, to offset that. You're seeing a lot of that.
1: We're absolutely seeing a whole lot of that, and and the reality is we have you know employees have the capability in a lot of cases now to be just as productive from you know from their their home office as they are in the office. So, if that means you know as an employer to attract uh, a in demand um, job candidate. You know, you have to say, "Well, I'll tell you what. We'll let you, you know, work uh, off hours, so you're not dealing with rush hour, or we'll, you know, let you work from home uh, every Friday or whatever it might be, as long as they're still productive. Um, which, which we can be these days. Um, you know, that is a, a very much a um, a perk and a benefit that that can attract individuals in this market.
0: Hey, uh, Josh, uh, thanks for being on the show. You've been a great guest. We've been talking to Josh. Howarth, he's from Robert Half Staffing. We've been talking about his salary guidelines. So, there you got it, employers and folks looking for jobs. That's what you need to be thinking about. Coming up, we have Anthony Neves from the Institute for Supply Management. We're going to talk about the U.S. service sector is growing and the trade deficit is just edging up. What does that mean for your jobs?
3: Made in America.
0: Welcome to Made in America. I'm your host, Neil Asbury. Joining us now, we have Anthony Nieves. Uh, he's from the Institute for Supply Management. And we've seen lately that the U.S. service sector is growing. The growth is actually accelerating. I mean, that's good news. And I think a lot of people don't realize, I mean, they see our trade deficit and and, and, and what they're really seeing is a trade deficit in merchandise. I mean, we're just not manufacturing in this country. But something that America does very well and exports very well is its services, its financial services, its banking services, its insurance services, its travel services. I mean, America is doing very well in that side. And it has been for many, many years. And we're now seeing that the growth in that sector accelerating. So what does that mean for your jobs? Hey, Anthony, welcome for being on Made in America.
2: Thank you very much for having me on the show.
0: So tell tell us what what is in these uh, numbers that you're looking at that the U.S. service sector uh, growth uh, accelerates. Uh, What's driving that? Why is that good news? What should we take from it?
2: Well, when you look at this uh, services sector or the non-manufacturing sector, as we call it, and we have a composite index Uh, which is uh, labeled the NMI. The NMI is comprised of four sub-indexes, which is business activity, new orders, employment, and supplier deliveries. Each are weighted uh, equally at 25%, and we measure change month over month. And if you look at this non-manufacturing sector, it has had growth. It has exhibited growth for 92 consecutive months, and it's been slow, incremental, steady growth. From June uh, to July we had a dip in the rate of growth, sort of a cooling off period. But then we have, for the month of August, a nice rebound. So the dip in July, the composite index went down to 53.9, which was the 12-month running low for this sector. Now we've rebounded to a 55.3, which is just slightly below the uh, 12-month average, uh, which the average uh, is running at uh, 56.2.
0: So what kind of jobs are these? I mean, what is it that, uh, that, are, that we should be looking at? I mean, if someone's looking for employment, uh, where should they head?
2: Well, that's a great question. And, you know, just to even touch base on what you were talking about with the exports, in this services sector, this non-manufacturing sector, you have uh, another piece of that which falls under the management, uh, you know, professional scientific technical services, management of company, uh, uh, and all kinds of knowledge management information that is things that we export, the strategy that we export to these other countries that then turn around and produce uh, software and other things for us at our uh, direction. And the type of industries that fall into this uh, categorically for this uh, non-manufacturing sector uh, is very eclectic. You have uh, agriculture, forestry, fishing and hunting. You have mining, utilities, construction, wholesale trade, retail trade, transportation and warehousing. You mentioned the information and the finance and insurance, real estate, rental, and leasing. I mentioned the professional, scientific, and technical services and the management of companies and support services. Education is in there, Healthcare, care, arts, entertainment, and recreation, accommodation and food services, public administration. And then there's a catch-all, other services for everything that is service-related that doesn't fall into uh, each one of those specific uh, NAICS categories, and that might include like religious activities or grant-making.
0: So there's a lot of things there. I mean I mean I mean, think about all those industries you just talked about, and America performs very well in those things. Absolutely. We don't, we don't hear that, we don't hear. I mean, we always hear that we're losing. We never hear that we're winning.
2: That's it. I mean, we you look at the the various uh, industries and and what they accomplish and what they represent in total contribution to GDP, it's over eighty percent. And so, therefore, I also feel that when you look at the non-manufacturing sector being as eclectic, it's almost like having a diverse stock portfolio. You don't focus on just one industry, and you look at it in the aggregate, and how that makes the economy chum and uh, you know chug along, and how we are not seeing the the spikes that you might see in some specific uh, type of uh, industries.
0: You know, I. I'm a manufacturer and and I have both a consumer and a commercial uh, division. And in my consumer division, I sell a lot of products to the American retailers. And and these retailers are going overseas. I mean, you go to Canada, you go to Europe, you go to Mexico, even in Asia, you see these retailers like Costco and Walmart and Amazon doing incredibly well. And then I also have a commercial division which sells to to, to the American hotel and restaurant chains. The American hotel and restaurant chains overseas are doing very well. I mean, a huge, huge area for America to be proud in as far as what we've been able to contribute, not only to our economy, but also to the world economy. we got about 10 seconds. Anthony, sum it up for us.
2: Well, we've seen this uh, growth that has been steady and uh, sustainable for the non-manufacturing sector for 92 consecutive months. And our respondents tell us that we're finishing up strongly here for the balance of the third quarter, and it looks pretty good going into the fourth quarter.
0: Anthony, that all sounds good to me. Hey, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Coming up, I'm going to have some final thoughts for the day.
3: Made in America.
0: Welcome to Made in America. I'm your host, Neil Asbury. Well, I want to circle back for a second on the Constitution You know, we talked about that here just a moment ago, and as an entrepreneur, I just want to say that economic freedom has been so, so important to not only my success, but to every entrepreneur that's ever been in our country, and all the great wealth and prosperity that they created, not only for themselves, but also for their communities, for their states, and for their country. And through this prosperity, we became a very, very strong country, a strong country that was able to not only survive, but to thrive. Sometimes we forget how important the Constitution is to that. How important that these principles of life, liberty, and freedom, and prosperity are ingrained in our country. You know, we got so many important things that's facing our country today. I mean, we're talking about immigration and taxes, health care, security, and all of these things. But we can't focus on them. I mean, it takes... A a, a national disaster for our country to start talking together and working together. And, you know, that's so sad. But, you know, when it happens, it's so incredible to see. And and why can't we just do that all the time? Or why can't we do it at least most of the time or half the time or even 25 percent of the time? Why does it take something so terrible to bring us together? You know, we just had a a very, very devastating hurricane hit Florida. I live in South Florida, and I have a home in the Florida Keys, and and I kind of spend my time halfway between both homes. And so I was one of the first people into the Florida Keys on Tuesday when they opened it up to people who own property there. Uh, only a few people were let into the Keys because of devastation. There was no electric. There was no water. There was no cell phone. There was no food. And obviously they're worried about uh, they, they didn't even do the search and recover yet. of, You know, who would they find Uh, people that needed help. Would they find people who had died from this terrible event? And all of that was ongoing. I got to my house and boy, there was a lot of devastation. I was just uh, within one mile of where they closed the keys, uh, even until now it's closed. And uh, so my house was pretty far down. I was only about 50 miles from the eye wall uh, when it came across the lower keys. And boy, uh, Mother Nature, when she unleashes her fury... Uh, it's an amazing thing to witness, but I'm going to tell you something else. You know what else was amazing to witness? I went on my property and I was, I was, it was, it was bad. It was bad. You know, (laughs) so many of the things that I had done and built and, you know, and and to see it all kind of laying there, I mean, it, it, it was devastating to me, but I, I went back uh, and, and, and I was, my house was still standing. Fortunately. We suffered some damage, but unlike a lot of people, my house was at least still there. I, I climbed up on the veranda and and I looked up, and the sky was filled with American military helicopters and aircraft. It was amazing. It was just like it was nonstop, you know, just this buzz overhead because the roads were closed. They couldn't get into the lower keys and all of the relief supplies that was coming in from all over the country. And then I went out to the front and and I'm trying to clean up some And on the road are these convoys of National Guards and first responders in power restoration trucks just streaming down uh, the keys. And these were people from all over the country, from Minnesota, from California. In fact, there was, a, there was a fire brigade from Alaska that was streaming down to the lower keys to help these people. And, you know, when you're in the keys, you kind of feel like you're at the end of the world. And maybe we're in the keys because we want to feel like we're in the end of the world. But the fact is, is sometimes you think that you're down there and you're kind of out of sight, out of mind. But boy, when we needed it, America was there. And I, um, I really felt proud, I mean, so proud, even though I'm looking at all of this devastation, but I was so proud to be an American, because Americans care. And when, it, when something happens like that, we come together. And, and it's a beautiful thing, I mean, absolutely beautiful. I get chills even talking to you about it, and this happened a few days ago. Why cannot we come together on these other issues? Just a little bit, just a little bit. See, we can do great things, It doesn't take national disasters for us to come together as Americans. We can do it on policies that's gonna benefit millions of our citizens. It's gonna create prosperity. It's gonna create wealth. It's gonna create a stronger country. It's gonna give us all these social programs and and, and fund these things because if we get to these issues, we can do incredible things just like we've done in Florida. I saw it firsthand just like it happened in Texas and every other thing that happened to this country, we found a way to come together. We must come together now and deal with the great political issues that is facing our country. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time. But I'm gonna be back again next week with Dr. Rothman for another adventure of Made in America where we never stop fighting for your jobs.